<laughs> Good day, my esteemed friends. It's a pleasure to see you here today. Today we're here with Luke Stokes from EOS DAC and working on a uh, block producer candidate and also a top 20 witness on Steemit. We're going to get into what sets EOS DAC apart today and also get into a little bit about, uh, bit about Luke him here himself. EOS, with EOS DAC, it is a DAC enabler. That's one of the main things that EOS DAC is. Can you explain what a DAC enabler is and, and how EOS, EOS DAC fits in there? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it'd probably be good to even say what a DAC is. A DAC is a decentralized autonomous community. And that C sometimes can be corporation or company or even an O for organization. But essentially it means a large group of people working together with a common goal, but they have shared ownership, they have shared goals, they have a shared mission that they're trying to accomplish. And what, what we mean by a DAC enabler is essentially this, this concept of a DAC, an autonomous community that lives in smart contracts on a blockchain out on the internet that no government can stop, no corrupt person can come and change. It's, it's autonomous. It lives on, you have to shut down the internet to stop it, basically. This idea is really amazing. I've been really passionate about it. I've been in the blockchain space for more than five years. And when I first heard about it, I was like, man, that is the future. That's going to solve our problems with a lot of governments solve our problems with a lot of multinational corporations and things that you know we don't get to have any ownership of so i got really passionate about it but i didn't get to see a whole bunch of them actually doing it it's very very difficult to get a whole bunch of people together and accomplish stuff you know you, you, hierarchies have a purpose because they provide structure and so we've kind of gravitated towards that we've never had the technology to do something different so for what we are building is a series of tools on the eos blockchain and again, these are just smart contracts. I used to say 16, but I think the latest it's about four or five and they have a bunch of actions within them. But each of these components are essentially the bare bones tools of what you need to run a DAC. And we ourselves are operating as a DAC. So we're kind of eating our own dog food here. We're building the tools we need to run as a DAC ourselves. So those tools would include, you know, member signup. So you, you get a token, an EOS DAC token, that's an invitation to membership. Then you still have to go and actually sign up and say, yeah, I'd like to be a member. I'd like to, uh, you know, I'm going to read through the terms of service and the, and the constitution and say, yeah, I want to go ahead and be a member. But then with that membership, now you have further actions you can do, such as voting in custodians. You can submit yourself for being a custodian. You can create worker proposals. You can, uh, and then even with that too, the custodians, that we're gonna have 12 voted in every seven days that the votes are counted and those custodians kind of make the day-to-day -day decisions for the DAC. And then those custodians will review worker proposals, vote on them, and there'll be automated processes for payment as well. And so we're, we're building not just like the on-chain tools that are needed, but also the structure. Like it sounds kind of funny, but we had some a number of meetings this week and just getting excited about folder structures. You know, like that's, that's the level that we're at here of just recognizing, hey, what are the best ways to synchronize your Discord with your Google Drive, with your Telegram, like getting everything organized so that we can really onboard thousands of people to help us with stuff. And we'll have the systems in place to manage that. And then it's also some legal side too. So like I said, our constitution, we just released a draft of that, which I'm really excited about. So people can actually comment on that and, and uh, give their opinion on it. But with that constitution, there's also EOSTAC Limited, an actual limited liability company that has to sign contracts with real you know, world companies and governments and things like that. And we're kind of setting a model for how a DAC can interact with the real, the real world through a limited liability company. So that's a, a quick overview of the type of things that we're doing to actually enable DACs to exist in the real world. Yeah, that's cool. So it sounds like you're creating the tools for other DACs to come in and exist in the real world. You also have the uh, Limited Liability Corporation that's going to be kind of taking care of some of the legal framework that's going to be necessary to just keep that running. Um, and the, yeah. the cool thing about that is that framework is 
just a service provider for the DAC. So for example, we're obviously going to have to have contracts with the, the infrastructure providers for being a block producer, you know, servers and bandwidth and all that. But if, if the, the members through their custodians decide, Hey, we're not getting enough value through this limited liability company in, and you know, Anguilla West Indies, well, we can just move over to one in Estonia. You know, we can move over to one in Gibraltar. We can, you know, we can duplicate that legal liability structure however we want. And even then, if there's a, even a government has a problem with a certain specific thing, the way we've set up that relationship, all assets of that organization will be transferred to the next service provider that the DAC hires. So it's a really cool way to go about it. And it also reduces the liability of the members of the DAC. So instead of like all, you know, hundreds of thousands of people being liable for one person doing something stupid, we can actually say, no, all payments run through that limited liability company. And that can be done automated through smart contracts. So it starts with the DAC, you know, multi-sig wallet goes through the, the wallet of the actual limited liability company, and then they make the payment. So if there's any drama, it's going to just be with that limited liability company. So there's a lot of cool little things we're doing that hopefully will be a template that then other, other, DAX and maybe even someday other governments will look at and say, okay, this is the framework now that we're going to operate under that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that that ability to be anti-fragile or to be nimble. So if something goes wrong in one place, then you're automatically, you already have those redundancies where we know where we're going to go and know what we're going to do. Um, because that that's one of the, the biggest um, issues that you see with some block producers and some questions people have is these single points of failure. Like if we have too many block producers on AWS or if we have too many block producers in one country. So um, yeah, that shows a lot of um, forethought for being able to move it like that um, around. So that, that's really cool. Um, so kind of on that note, what do you think is the most important um, factors when, because now what do you think the most important factors are as far as who to vote for and what to look for? I would say absolutely number one is technical capacity to actually run a block producing node. That is bar one, the most basic requirement is these people have to understand network infrastructure. They have to understand security. They have to understand the actual uh, system in place. And that's why I'm, I'm excited to bring my experience as a steam witness for a year now onto the EOS DAC team, along with Rob and Michael, who've done a phenomenal job of actually, they launched the very first superhero testnet. They work closely with block one to find bugs and provide logs to fix things. Uh, they just did an announcement recently of security uh, vulnerability that Michael was a, a part of discovering. And so I think technical capacity and capability and expertise is the number one thing. If people are not voting for that first and foremost, then they're actually endangering their own investment because that's the primary role of a block producer is to secure the blockchain. That's what makes delegated proof of stake work. And that's the number one priority. Beyond that, it's, I think, value add and value creation. If, if they're going to create uh applications or support applications or su support community projects, whatever they're doing with those rewards to create more value, I think is really important. Okay. That makes sense. What, um, so as far as, um, value adds, what do you think we should look for diversity and value adds as well? Like certain, we don't want a bunch of the same type of value adds. So what are some examples of what, what are the value adds that you like or how do you rank those or yeah, that's a, a great question. I think that there could, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives. I mean, I've heard everything from some groups saying they're going to burn their extra rewards that they don't need for the, for the uh, block production infrastructure itself. I've heard people say they're going to put into building a specific product. You know, of course, we have large exchanges like Bitfinex and others coming in. You know, who knows what they're going to do with their rewards. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a lot of different models. I like the EOS DAC model in that 
you know, we're going to be paying the custodians, you know, and they are going to, it's a really cool, if you look through the constitution, it's a really cool thing where they're basically going to bid on what they think they should be paid. And then there'll be an average. So it's essentially going to be pretty fair across the board. And if people don't like it, they can obviously vote in different custodians who will pay themselves less, you know, if they don't mm -hmm. feel it's equitable. And then there's going to be worker proposals. And that's all about value creation. You know, people can come in within the DAC community, people that want to support DACs on EOS and say, hey, can I get some money to launch my thing? I think it's going to be great. And they can create that worker proposal and those funds can be directed for that. And then I think this is another thing we talked about briefly, but there is some concern that we've, we've talked about if there's even leftovers after that, maybe the token holders might, might have some of a, a dividend or a distribution or some kind of something like that. And again, all of that is up to the actual members and the custodians. And I know that has caused a lot of controversy with people. And I'm thankful that, you know, Thomas Cox and others have been very clear that it's not vote buying, but it is potentially a financial incentive. And so people might want us to be part of the block producer community because they think they're going to gain something from it. And, and my perspective on that is if we have an engaged community of token holders in the, in the EOS DAC and they're excited, that is a value creation and, and, and in my perspective, and if we have, you know, 10,000 people moving forward to make something happen, we're going to be more productive and active than someone who's got 10 people or 50 people. That's my personal perspective, but I know it's a, it's a controversial topic. <laughs> yeah, well, there, and, and for anyone who wants to dig further in, like, like you said, Thomas Cox has a great um, video on it of why it's not vote buying and why it's going to be positive for the community. So go ahead and dig in um, on your own and into that. Um, but yeah, um, the the EO stack is 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 great, and so can you tell me where it's currently located? Like where the where the first limited liability corporation is right now, and where the, where the majority of the members are? Yeah, uh, the limited liability corporation is in Anguilla, West Indies, and then I'm pretty sure we have another one that we're kind of cooking up in Estonia. But the the membership itself is going to be fully global, and where we're going to locate the servers, I think in beginning it's it's on our website. But I know we have servers in London, we have servers. I think there's going to be a different set of servers in Asia, and another set of servers either in Gibraltar or potentially in West Indies. I'm sorry, I should know that, but okay. these are the kind of things that are changing all the time. But again, what's nice about the approach we took is be it by doing the airdrop. You know, we've published this on our website uh, and on Steemit. We, you know, we have over a million dollars in funds to support our activities as a block producer. So EOStack Limited has the funds to do that. So we have our runway. We're not, you know, uh, we'd have to listen to any VCs to tell us what to do. You know, we're going to be fully committed to doing what is best for the community. And we have the money to do that, which is a really exciting thing. So if we need to move, being a distributed DAC, if we need to move servers anywhere in the world to best facilitate, you know, a, a proper balance across the planet, we have the freedom to do that. And that's pretty exciting. So we're not like tied to a specific geographic location. Can you talk a little about your servers and, and the hardware and what actually goes into that? Um, or I, I mean, that's more like Rob and Michael setting that up. I mean, I've seen the specs there. I, I, we publish those as well. They are exceeding what is needed for launch. Let's put it that way. And it will always be that way. We will continue to add uh, more RAM, more CPUs. We will continue to diversify and modularize on multiple servers if needed. I will definitely have multiple full nodes and backups. So uh, yeah, the nice thing again is we have the funds to do it right. And we have the skills and the technology and the experience to do it right with Rob, Michael, and myself. So I'm pretty confident we're going to be one of the top technical candidates out there just based on that alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, and that technical aspect, like you said, is one of the most important because that's the literally what we're, what we're electing the BPs to do is the technical aspect of validating and running, running nodes. And um, so 
a lot of it gets lost and we kind of overlook what we're actually looking for. So, um, so that's, yeah. That's an interesting part about that too, I think is that um, like with proof of work, the reason people do proof of work is because of the reward. You know, they get this block reward and it's a lot. And so they're willing to spend all this money on electricity and buy big ASIC mining rigs. And I think some people sometimes misunderstand delegated proof of stake. It shouldn't be, in my opinion, the bare minimum reward to be a block producer. It mm -hmm. should be a rivalrous position that people covet and it brings the experts in the field who want to be voted into that position, do their reputation and expertise because the reward should be enough to make it difficult to obtain that position where, where people are working very hard to obtain it. And it shouldn't be excessive, of course, and there's people that are concerned about the 5% inflation and the 1% going to block production. And to me, I, I think we're gonna just work through finding the right balance. We went through the same thing with steam, there was a little too much inflation, there was a little bit too much block pay going to the witnesses, and those things all got adjusted over time. And to me, that's the beauty of delegated proof of stake. You have on-chain governance. If the community disagrees about something, we can all work together to change it. And that's a, an amazing, amazing thing. And being in the Bitcoin space for so long, watching things not change from 2014 to 2015 to 2016 to 2017, just seeing things just you know lose all their market share, yeah. it was very tragic and it was very sad. I was very frustrated yeah. because people just couldn't come up with consensus. And there wasn't aligned motivations between the users of the platform and the block producers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that is one of the that is one of the beautiful things about uh, delegated proof of stake is the incentive is to is to improve it constantly. And also, that's a really good point you make about um, bigger picture. The more that block producers are getting paid, or the the more competitive it's going to be, and the more experts you're going to have dive in, and the and the harder they're going to work to gain that position. So we're, it's kind of one of these things where we shoot ourselves in the foot. It's the short-term versus the long-term vision. Short-term, we want them to give more back into the community right now and take less of a pay. But long-term, it makes it less competitive and actually hurts the, the structure as a whole. So our investment, it, it's, like, it, it's the same concept as you, you pay your workers well. You know, you yes. take care of your workers because ultimately long-term, they're the ones that are going to make your business do well. So, um, yeah, you don't want it block production to be a, a commodity race to the bottom. You know, yeah. you don't want that. Nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Um, what do you think of, uh, Amazon web services? We've seen a lot of, uh, the block producers using that. Do you think that there's space for some of the, um, for some of our block producers to use Amazon Web Services? Yeah, I think so. I don't think, uh, I'd have to check with Rob and Michael, I don't think we've decided to use them at all. Uh, I think something we're setting up in Asia may actually be like a hybrid cloud bare bones, but I'm pretty sure what we're doing now are, are servers that we directly uh, control. But again, I'd, I'd have to defer to them and what, and this stuff changes daily, so it, uh, it, I'd have to defer to them to be sure. But my thoughts on Amazon Web Services is obviously they're the biggest, you know, their biggest uh, provider around. I, I ran a company for 10 years, Foxycart, and when we moved to them, we actually got reliability that we had never had with a lot of other providers. And we were in multiple regions and like, they have an amazing system. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it can be trusted or there's concerns about that, you know, I, it, it's a similar thing with what makes secures this, right? This whole system is it's in their best interest to be secure, to be reliable, to be affordable, to be, you know, excellent. And if they don't, they lose market share. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing with us as being a reliable block producer. It's like, we want that position and we have to, we want to protect our reputation. 
So I, I think sometimes people like to latch onto these simplified things like, oh, you use AWS and I'm going to count that as a check against you. And it's much, much more complicated than that. To me, you know, I could set up a server in some incredible ISP and not have a clue how to secure it and, mm -hmm. and be much, much worse off than if I was just on AWS. So it completely depends on the context of the people involved, how they're configuring the servers and their expertise on security and reliability and how the team has built their uh, round the clock surveillance and, you know, monitoring and logging and everything so that if there's an issue, they're on it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it plays into this, um, this thought of diversity in all these different areas. And I think one of them is it can be with Amazon Web Services, as long as we don't have 21 uh, block producers that are all fully dependent on AWS, then what we're just trying to um, keep is this one single point of failure. We're trying to not have a one single point of failure. So I, I think that um, it's just something to be conscious of when we're voting is maybe not to vote for, you know, all Amazon Web Service um, providers, just not to centralize that. But um, in the same way that maybe we don't want to have to vote for all uh, BPs in one country. Maybe we want to spread those out a little bit. Absolutely. That, yes, that theme of diversity. And then the other place we look at diversity is what these um, BPs are going to be giving back to the community. Um, and it, that idea of diversity and decentralization is one of the main reasons I joined EOS DAG. And it's one of the mm -hmm. main reasons I'm very, very excited about what they're doing. It's not about maximizing profit for a very small group of people or a board or a corporation. It's about creating value for a large number of people. And even if they don't have a huge stake in EOS, but they have an application they want to build and they're passionate about decentralization and creating a DAC and a community, then they can come through EOS DAC and have a voice and they can actually say, well, you know, maybe I don't have enough tokens to influence a block producer normally, but if I'm a member, I'm a community member of EOS DAC, then I can actually take my DAC tokens and I can vote in a custodian who I trust. And then that custodian among 11 others can actually, you know, hear, hear me out and say, hey, here's a change that EOS is considering that would be really beneficial for DACs. You know, can we, can we campaign and, and talk about how much we'd like that change to be made? You know, those are the kind of ways that I look at it. I think when we have a larger distribution and it's almost fractal. It's like we're replicating what EOS has done. And then there's going to be DACs that come after EOS DAC and replicate the pattern that we've done. And then they're going to build decentralized applications that are going to essentially replicate their DNA. And so there's just this incredible fractal nature that's happening that I think is just really beautiful. And it resembles what I see in nature that is very resilient and actually very effective. Yeah, that's, I was just going to say, you guys are like a meta decentralization. You're like a decentralized wing of something that's already decentralized and kind of, and, and, and that is a beautiful way to put it. There's in nature fractals and, and things looking the same on a small level as a big level. Um, that, that's something you guys are enabling. And that's, I think that it's a needed balance with the block producers as we have all of these kind of for-profit block producers going to be run by individual entities but then there's also this balance of uh, a decentralized autonomous community that's going to kind of wisdom of the crowd or, or pushing the, the, the will of the people forward. I think, I think it's a great balance. I think it's cool when you think of it bigger picture, um, you know, not having any rulers as your shirt, I think says there, yeah. <laughs> no masters and no, masters, no slaves, no masters and no slaves. Yeah. I recognize the, the top of it. Yeah. It's so, one of my favorite shirts. I love the shirt. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that's such a cool thing about EOS DAC is it is this, this decentralized um, just, just way for us to have our voices heard as the smaller holders. Um, so 
I got into an interesting conversation. It was about the actual voting, the, when we actually go and vote here. Now, there's some thought of how voters um, can think about it, but it seems like uh, it may be beneficial to put all of our votes towards one of our favorite block producers so they get the full benefit as opposed to maybe spreading them out over six to ten block producers, however that works. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I, you know, I'm a, I know with steam, it doesn't, your, your vote doesn't get diluted. You know, you vote for 30, you vote for one, it's the same. I'm not exactly sure on the latest with EOS, because again, these things change all the time. But I, I do think that having a, a pick of more than just one or two is beneficial. And that's why the protocol was designed that way, that you can vote for multiple people. And again, it's, it's back to not having a single point of failure. You know, like let's say you're a whale and you vote for one block producer, one block producer only, and that block producer gets taken out by their government or who knows what. And now all of that voting strength is not going to anyone else. And now you have all these competent block producers that are sitting there waiting, but they're not in the top 21 because they don't have that same vote. So if that one guy drops out, all that voting power is not being directed towards active block producers. So I, I would see that as an example where spreading out your votes is a good thing because then again, if, if you put all your eggs in one basket and that one block producer does something bad, you know, now that that's also your reputation, you voted for them, you, you backed them. You said, yeah, this is the one horse that I'm going to back. And, and I would think it would make more sense to say, these are the style of block producers that I'm excited about. These are the people that I think have the most to offer the community. And that's also informative to others who are still deciding how to vote. You know, it's great when I can go to someone I trust and say, oh, who are the, all the witnesses they vote for on Steam? Or who are all the block producers they're going to vote for on EOS? I think that's very informative. It's not just an individual decision, but it's also a public decision. It's, got, it's, a, it's signifying like, hey, here are my values. Here's what I care about. You know, do I care about decentralization? Do I care about, you know, these kind of things? That's important. Yeah, and that's something that um, that your um, history with Steemit has has given you a lot of this knowledge that I think is really important that you're going to be able to add a lot to the community because you've been through for a year about as a steam witness and there's so many crossovers between how the incentives work and how the uh, kind of the politics work and, and what works and what doesn't and it's it's great that you've had a essentially a year to kind of figure these things out before implementing them on EOS as well. Um, what do you think the biggest lesson that you learned or the biggest um, similarity between the two platforms would be? Well, definitely delegated proof of stake itself, like understanding cryptocurrency itself, then blockchain technology itself and the economics and human motivational psychology and everything that goes into securing these chains, but then going on to actually understanding delegated proof of stake and how you are, representative of stakeholders and they they when they put their trust in you they're expecting you to do a certain specific job and that is block production and then also they're going to then evaluate and what do you do with the rewards we're giving you are you giving back to the community are you are you creating value or are you trying to extract value for yourself and so i think the the number one thing i've learned is is essentially and this is, you know, from day one, you know, I, I created a witness account after like a year of people saying, why aren't you a witness? Why aren't you a witness? I want to vote for you as a witness. You should be a witness. I trust you. You know, we want you up there making decisions. And I finally put out my account and I just put it in my signature. I told two friends and they were the two that got me on steam to start with uh, Bill Butler and, and uh, Sean King. And I said, okay, um, Hey, I, I put up a witness account. So they voted for me. And then pretty much I never asked for votes ever since then. I put it in my signature and I'm like, look, if I have to convince you to vote for me, I'm already not creating enough value for you to recognize. But if you go out there and you see what I'm doing and you see me engaging and you think, oh, this is educational, this is helpful, 
this is, we need more of this on the blockchain. And then you decide to vote for me. I think that's a beautiful way to go. I, I think that I would love to see our actions speak a lot louder than our marketing, right? You know, so when it comes to voting for block production producers or promoting yourself to try and get votes or anything like that, I, I would just, I would encourage everyone to just create value. That's what it comes down to. Create value, provide value, and let that be apparent by your actions. And I think it's, it's interesting. Like I appreciate that you were saying how there's value in that crossover. And I know some people, some people feel differently. Some people are concerned. They say, oh, well, you know, what about, what about Ono? You know, it's a social media platform on EOS that might conflict with Steemit. What about Dan Larimer saying he's going to build a whole new Steemit competitor, you know, Steemit 2 or whatever. And there's, and there's people that are concerned about that. And I appreciate that and respect that. But I, I, I look at it differently in terms of the job of a block producer is to provide value for the blockchain. They don't, you know, they're not in there manipulating things. There's no secret levers that can be switched or anything. It's just a very clear job that they do and they're trusted to do it. And I feel like when you're involved in a lot of different projects with throughout the entire cryptocurrency space, all that experience and expertise helps you do the job better. And, and all the time I see things from different projects. You know, I see how smart cash does their decentralization. I'm like, Oh, Hey, EOS stack, we could benefit from that. And I've I, back and forth. I've provided value in multiple communities just because of that experience and the time that I've been in the space. And I would love to see more people do that. Less tribalism, less maximalism, like my coin and my coin only is the only one. I think that's the old model. That's the model of like, you know, corporations trying to build protective patents and things to like fend off people instead of saying, we're gonna create so much value that you don't wanna go anywhere else. You know, that, that would be my model. And, and doing that in partnership and cooperation with other groups. Like even when, when I ran Foxcart with my business partner, uh, during our sign-up process, if you know, we'd ask a few questions, and if there wasn't a good fit, we would actually send them to Shopify, one of our competitors, like in the sign-up process. And we did that as it was just it made sense to us. It's like we're not going to create false expectations when you know maybe you're not a technical person, you don't have a programmer, you don't have a developer. We may not be the right tool for you. And it was such a beautiful thing that we'd have often people come back to us and say that was the right thing for you to do. But after three to six months, I needed more flexibility, and I came back to you guys because you treated me right. You know, and I, I, that's the model I want to see is people working together, less of this old kind of competing and more cooperation and collaboration. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, um, and it's only going to push the, the ecosystem forward in the same way that you mentioned um, that we mentioned uh, the competition is good with block producers and maybe they should get paid enough so that we're, we're, we're incentivizing competition. It's, it's the same for, uh, different social media platforms. Steam is amazing. I love it, but I don't think it'll be hurt by Ono or by other um, social media platforms if they are incentivizing competition. And and Steam is is good enough to stay ahead, which I think they are. I think it can only uh, you know light a fire and, and help them out. And also, as they see these different ideas and these new innovations come through, if they're good, Steam can implement or Steam it can implement them. So. Um, yeah, I think that the the diversification just because of the ability to learn from so many different places is is one of your guys' greatest tools. I think that's I think that's really a cool a cool thing there. I think so too. And it's and it's one of those things that like some people argue, well, you could still learn about all that without being a block producer, without being a witness. And like maybe, but you're way more engaged and financially incentivized when you're a block producer. And so like one example of that just recently, it's a minor example, but there was discussion about taking the EOS GitHub repository and creating an entire foundation that's tokenized with people that get voted in to control that GitHub repo because block one is not going to do that. 
And I saw that and I said, well, brilliant. We need to do that for Steam as well. Steam Incorporated shouldn't be the, the one organization controlling the repo that all the exchanges and all the developers pull from. And it was just neat to say, hey, here's something I learned from another community I'm engaged in. And, and people were saying, hey, yeah, that makes sense. We want to do that in the future. It's going to take some work, but that's worth doing. So those are just, you know, there are many examples like that where we're just, we can work together. And it's still healthy comp competition in terms of like, as we see, hey, they did something awesome over here. Let's do that too. I see that as how you bring value in open source communities. You know, you see something an open source project does and you say, hey, we can do that too. Let's do it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, it's all open source. So it is, uh, you know, that, that's the name of the game. That's this, that's this shift that we're feeling. That's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because it's so different, but it's, it's really a cool shift and it's really positive. If we want this whole decentralized world where we're getting rid of the middleman, we're getting rid of the powers that can kind of uh, pull strings, then that also comes along with sharing. You know, it, it, we become a little bit more of a sharing economy. We become more transparent. We do things more for the good of our fellow man as, as opposed to, um, you know, only for ourselves. And so it is, it, is a, it is kind of an uncomfortable shift, but I think, it, I think it's the right way to do it. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's pretty, pretty rad, man. And really it's, cool. to me, it doesn't have to be some form of altruism either. Like the, my tagline that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of years is I want to create the world that we all want to live in. Yeah. You know, it's like the reason I don't want to see someone suffering and I want to help them is because I don't want to live in a world where people are suffering. So it's, mm -hmm. it's still a selfish from that perspective. I'm thinking about my own needs and by meeting my own needs, I'm going to meet the needs of everyone around me. Well, absolutely. And, and that's something that shouldn't be overlooked is that another part of the reason that it's important that you're not just looking at notes from what EOS is doing, but you're involved or excuse, you're involved with it is because you have skin in the game. You have yeah. a financial incentive to study harder, learn more and dig into the weeds so that you know exactly what's happening. You haven't just read some white paper or followed on Twitter you're, you're digging harder than everyone else. And, and, and with that too, the greatest thing is I don't have to be the arbitrator to decide whether or not I'm providing value. That's up to the token holders. And that's the beautiful thing. It's like, I can just do my thing. And if people say, hey, you're too divided, you're not providing value, you're not committed enough to our community, fine. Mm -hmm. And I, I, the great thing is I don't have to make that decision. I can leave that up to token holders. But ultimately, if I am providing that value, then it's irrational to say, well, we don't want that value. You know, like some of yeah. the top steam witnesses are already starting to get a little bit of a flack for this. I mentioned a conversation that was started yesterday. And, and to me, it's funny because like if steam pushes away, it's best people because they're involved in other things. And that's what makes them the best people in my opinion, because they yeah. are involved in a lot of stuff. Then that could be a concern for their communities that you know, they should always engage to having the very best people involved. And yeah. I do, I think we've got some amazing people in steam, some incredible minds, some incredible, uh, products and intelligence. I'm, I'm really excited about many different things coming from Steam. And once SMTs happen as well, it's just going to be incredible. So I, I love it. I think Steam is going to cause competition for, for EOS and EOS is going to cause competition for Steam and they're both going to be better for it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, um, it's like great competitors in the NBA finals or something. They, they end up loving each other because they push each other to do things that never would have happened without it. So oh, heck um, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. So, so uh, I think, you know, I think that it's great. And I, I hope that people kind of open their eyes to the possibility that so many things are so different from the, you know, the old world now we're, we're, we're breaking ground all over the place. So, um, so to just embrace DPOS as a whole delegated proof of stake as a whole 
and uh, be part of as much of it as you can. I think that is a, you know, I think that's a beautiful thing. You know, that's kind of the, the route that I see you taking and that, that's important. Um, what was your background before you got into um, so heavy into the blockchain and, and things of that nature? Well, I spent 10 years building FoxyCart, which is an e-commerce shopping cart system. So uh, my business partner and I, we started that. And I, before that, I, I majored in computer science. I've always been programming. I worked for a couple of different you know, organizations and, and companies doing that. And around, it was 2000, 2005, 2006, we started working on the idea. And then 2007, we launched. It was basically adding adding a shopping cart to your existing website. A lot of the e-commerce solutions back then were just this behemoth all in one solution and you had to maintain two websites. You have your normal website and then you have your e-commerce platform. And there was just this like unruly thing you couldn't style. So we just brought the idea of like, what about just a little cart? And so I've been in the payment industry for a long time and I've seen the problems with payment gateways, merchant account providers, banks, you know, and I really, I ended up getting a deep exposure to even the whole global monetary system, you know, thinking about fiat currency itself, central banking, how this all pretty much destroys human well-being. And I was seeing the, uh, the stranglehold that the credit card companies have on uh, payments and how this system of credit cards is so silly because here's the key to my bank. Please only take out what you're supposed to. You know, that's just yeah. like, here, open my safe, take out what you're supposed to. This is absurd and obscene when it comes to security. But this is the model that was created before the internet. And now we have encryption, the internet. We have much, much better ways to do it. And blockchain technology came around and I got passionately excited about it. And I was always kind of, involved in both. I bought my first Bitcoin in January of 2013. I spent 50 bucks and I got two and a half Bitcoin. Yeah. I've been excited about it ever since. Last yeah. year, I paid off my house with, with cryptocurrency. So my wife and, and our kids are happy about that. And I, I, I did. I sold my business this year to focus on this space full time because I just think there's so many amazing opportunities here. This is where my passion is. And it's not just because there's financial incentive. It's because this is the path forward in my perspective for more volunteerism, more nonviolent consensus across the globe, a way that we can get, a, get away from using threats that is what governments, nation state governments essentially do is the law is just a threat put down on paper, uh, you know, to, to behave a certain way. And we can actually use human motivational psychology. We can use financial incentives and we can actually have peace on a way we've never seen before. And I, I just think we're going to out innovate the traditional government models and it's going to be a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I think I think out innovating is 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 happening right now. And it's it's I don't think it's going to slow down and it's going to be it's going to become really apparent in the next. I, it's hard to put a prediction, but it's going to become real apparent at some point that everything's going to need a change and the governments are going to have to act differently to catch up or become almost irrelevant in a lot of ways or yes. at least at least. Um, lose a lot of the, the power that they have now by controlling the monetary system. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a really, what an interesting time to be living in. I mean, to say, to say the least, it, it, I just appreciate it every day. You know, I'm like, this is so freaking cool. I've never had something I've, I've done a, a lot of careers and a lot of things in my life that have been really cool, but never had something that I'm so passionate about because what this this combo gives us the chance to not only be passionate about something, but have that feeling that possibly it's going to change culture and possibly it's going to save a lot of people. And possibly, you know, the, the big picture change was something that for volunteer volunteerists like yourself, um, 
you know, as a voluntarist, you think, okay, I want to go out and I want to help people, but your, your reach is, is not real big. You know, your reach is the, the people you're in contact with, maybe, um, maybe a little big bubble of people that you affect, but with blockchain, it, it can be a global reach, which is, which is really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think most people are down with the golden rule. They're like, yeah, non-aggression principle, this thing that, you know, voluntarists and libertarians and these people are, you know, anarchists, they're all excited about don't initiate violent force against anyone else. And people are excited about that. And they're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. The golden rule, we all know this is kids, <laughs> but they've not seen a practical model of governance where this could be acted out in day-to-day -day life. They're like, well, you still need the Leviathan, the Thomas Hobbesian Leviathan. You know, you still need the police. You need somebody to come and, you know, slap someone on the wrist when they do bad things. And I think that uh, that's just essentially a story we've told ourselves. And once we have, and this is another reason I'm very excited about EOS, and I actually hope that Steam with the SMT oracles will take some of this and, and do a similar thing. Once you have contracts, Picardian contracts for everything, you have ethics on the blockchain. Yeah. You have an understanding to say, hey, that hack was bad. You know, we have a way to, we have language we can use now to say, we disagree as a community on what just happened. And with that, now you can start building structures of governance that will actually function and interact with the real world in a way that people can look at that and say, wait, you can do that. How? Like, we don't need to have any violent threat. It's like, no, that guy was a bad actor and we froze the funds and the person who found it got rewarded and the victim was made whole. And it's no longer this kind of like, put the bad guy in a cage and feed him for 20 years. But it's like, no, no, we, we don't, they don't get to play anymore. You know? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah, they're opting themselves out of the system. So, um, yeah, and there's been this um, kind of this pushback against DPoS or against EOS or Steam at that model of um, the delegated proof of stake because of the governance. And people argue that the governance actually makes it, um, you know, gives you a blockchain that can be changed and gives human interaction, which is bad. But um, but with proof of work, it's almost where we're at this point where we've proven that it, it can't um, change quick enough. It can't, it can't, it's not agile. It gets stuck. And unfortunately, Bitcoin, the greatest thing ever, has been kind of stuck in this rut for a long time. And it's just a, you know, it, it paints this picture where we, we actually, maybe we do need human governments and humans, maybe humans aren't all bad and we're not going to mess it all up. Maybe if we plan it correctly, you know, we have the correct incentives and we think it out. Um, with all these lessons, maybe maybe there's a maybe there's an interaction between the two where where this could be, you know, where DPoS is a is a great alternative. Um, I I love how they're they're again they're competing and cooperating. I love recently how Vitalik Buterin like gave some input to Dan Larimer and he improved EOS because of that input and he thanked him and said, hey, thank you for that. And I, I look at that and I, I think it's a beautiful thing because. You know, I tweeted a whole series of tweets today and it was it was a reply I did on Facebook. And I was like, oh, I got to put this out there. And it was essentially, you know, was the DAO hack of a hundred million dollars plus on the Ethereum network? Was that a good thing? Was it a good thing that it forked and created Ethereum Classic? Like most people would say, no, like that wouldn't that would have been better if that didn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. But there was no mechanism on chain for governance and a way to say, hey, we all agree this is bad. Let's not do this. And I think what's beautiful about on-chain governance with, that DPoS provides is that there is a mechanism to say, hey, let's not go through this horrific thing that actually harms everyone. If one person makes a bad mistake, one contract writer writes a bad contract, 
that's the only contract that gets frozen. The entire chain continues moving on. And it's the same thing with the, bell, uh, with the bandwidth delegation and the way the bandwidth works is that if one person is spamming and abusing the network, well, their bandwidth goes, available bandwidth goes to zero. The rest of the network is working just fine. So these are systems that just don't exist in proof of work. It, it just, you just end up having to spend a whole bunch of money and that only benefits one group in the ecosystem, which is the block producers, you know, the miners. And I like that the incentives are so aligned in delegated proof of stake. The users, the developers, the block producers, they're all aligned incentivized, incentivized in a way that if they're creating value, they're all going to benefit. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. And, and again, I, I'm happy for uh, a, a very strong proof of work chain that is secure and has, you know, petabytes of hashing power and, and it would take, you know, millions or even billions or even trillions of dollars to 51% attack and hack. I like that security, you know, and I think that things could work together. If, if somebody didn't trust delegated proof of stake, well, they could take a hash of something on that blockchain and throw it on the proof of work blockchain and vice versa, you know, so I think that they can work and collaborate together. Yeah, absolutely. I think the inner blockchain communication is going to be huge for that. As that develops, it's going to open up this whole new aspect of maybe we can have both you know and, and that's the, the, yeah. the funny thing too is that i think it's going to expose weaknesses of certain chains where it's like well this chain is already up to date but we're waiting for confirmations over here uh -huh. you know like come on get with the technology here yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah. once you use depos for like a little bit amount of time you just get spoiled for everything else three yeah. second block times on steam a half a second block times on eos and you didn't pay anything to transfer your own stores of value you just had to have some steam power or some eos you know locked into bandwidth it just spoils you. You're like, wait, I have to wait. How many confirmations are on Bitcoin and how long is this going to take? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's just, yeah. you know, this is all competition this is the way we're going to be uh, helping each other improve. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, what do you, th sorry, I just lost my question. Lost my train of thought there for one second. That'll happen. I had this awesome, I was like, oh, I got the best question ever. Oh, never mind. Forgot it. Um, but yeah, I, I've loved being on Steam and I've been on Steam it now. I'm actually just approaching my, uh, my, my year anniversary on Steam it. I think very uh, cool, very maybe cool. about three weeks from now. So um, my wife went to the first Steam Fest, uh, or the, excuse me, the second Steam Fest in wow. Portugal. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got to go to the Steam Creators Conference in uh, Las Vegas a few, mm -hmm. maybe a month or two ago. So um, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, I was going to talk to you about the EOS um, the EOS launch because we have the mainnet launch coming. I mean, that's kind of the elephant in the room. We've got like three days, two or three days until all of this either comes to fruition or doesn't. Um, there's been some recent vulnerabilities, but then Dan has come out and said, you know what, these aren't worth, we're fixing them or they're fixed already. And it's just a little bit of um, FUD. So what's your, what's your take on how this launch is going to, is going to look? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it because I'd like to kind of get the word out there that we should really reset our expectations. And, and I had to do the same thing myself. And my expectation, and I realized this was totally an assumption on my part. I didn't read this anywhere. Block One never said this. No block producer candidate said this. It was just my own assumption that, oh, the tokens launch or lock on the end of June 2nd. And so therefore, right after that, there's going to be a launch. And it was just kind of like, but not necessarily like we're, we're going to launch when the code is secure and ready to launch. Uh -huh. And all the block producer candidates are, have already agreed to only launch one EOS. We're not going to confuse the market. There's going to be one that we all agree to that. We validated all the token balances. We validated all the initial system contracts and everything. And it's basically a pristine clean blockchain. And we're going to be ready to go. Once we've validated that, then we will open it up and make it available for people to vote for candidates. And I, to me, that's the most important thing. If that takes, 
a few days, a few weeks even, whatever that takes, I am totally fine with that because that is the number one priority is to launch the secure chain. There's billions of dollars on the line and untold future billions to be made. We have to do this right. And so I think that's probably the first message I want to put out there is that ultimately it's the responsibility of the block producer candidates and the launch teams all around the world to do this effectively, to do it securely. And it's, you know, I, I was kind of hoping and we were, you know, I've talked to Rob and Michael about this. We were kind of hoping we would have a stable 1.0 release about a month ago that we could just hammer on and hack on and really run it through its paces. And as you've said, changes have been made every single day, right up to today. So it's not ideal. You know, like I said, I've run a software company for over 10 years. We processed billions of dollars through our system. Uh, we were PCI level one compliant, like security was a big part of what we did. And, and so, you know, that does concern me a little bit. I, I, I would have hoped it had gone a different way as far as professionalism and making sure that you're really going to launch a solid product. And at the same time, Dan Larimer is a genius. The guy is incredible and he has a track record of doing incredible things in a very short period of time. And the value he's added, uh, I think is, is worth it. And I think he's going to continue suggesting improvements and whether, you know, and it'll just be up to the block producers who do get voted in to decide if it's, you know, worth doing. So I, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm very hopeful. I'm very excited about the launch, but I'm no longer of the opinion that it's going to like happen within hours or minutes of, you know, when the tokens freeze, I think it would be good for everyone to kind of set their expectations to say, okay, I know that my token's going to freeze. I know I won't have access to it. I have to be comfortable and confident and just be patient and in good enough time, it's going to launch and it's going to be fantastic. So when you say token freeze, just so everyone understands, this means that even on Binance or wherever the tokens are, they're not going to be trading. Is that right? Well, that's an interesting point. Um, so I'll give as an example, Tezos, you know, they had an ICO, massive ICO, like a long time ago. And there is one exchange, I forget which one, that is trading their own Tezos coins. So essentially, they participated in the ICO. They have a certain amount of coins that that exchange has. And then they're allowing selling and trading, but no deposits, obviously, because the coin doesn't exist and no withdrawals. So will that happen? Maybe. And that would be kind of virtual trading off chain, which is what a lot of, unfortunately, centralized exchanges do. And I would love to see the future just wipe out all centralized exchanges. I would love to see everyone have control of their private key and everything done on decentralized exchanges. But until we get there, um, I can't speak for all the exchanges. So that may happen. But most likely, most likely, most exchanges will say, okay, this is locked until our mainnet launches. And then we're going to implement our systems to support that mainnet. And then we're going to open it up for trading. I, I, would, I would hope that's what people do. I think you'll have a very manipulated market if only certain exchanges are selling and there's no way to trade between them. I really hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an, interesting, uh, an interesting take. Have we gotten messages from any of the bigger exchanges? Um, have they put any messaging out on that? Uh, they, if they have, I haven't seen it myself. I, I haven't been listening to uh, centralized exchange communication as <laughs> yeah. much as I've been focused on the launch. Um, yeah. But uh, my understanding is everything's going to freeze until there's a main that launch. That's my understanding. Nice, nice. Well, um, and, and that's good to set the expectations because, um, again, what we want bigger picture here is for a smooth launch. It, what we want is for all the, all the small hiccups to be worked out so that when it launches, uh, we can start actively using in the EOS blockchain. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed there. But like you said, Dan is such a such a force, and he's already had a couple launches in the past. So I think that he, um, 
I have a lot of faith in him. We'll say that. And so I'm hoping that, uh, that he, that this all kind of pulls through. And I know he's not really the, he's, he's a figurehead, but he's not really the, you know, this is the community's project. So, um, there was something that Dan said where he was the, um, his, one of his thoughts was that the chain would be launched by one block producer as opposed to 21 block producers. Um, what are the pros and cons of those, of those two ways to launch? Uh, EOS? You know, yeah, I was just reading, I think it was last night in the jungle test net on telegram. He was, he was talking about that again. And there's some concerns with like EOS BIOS doing a different approach. Um, I think my understanding of it is uh, cause there, there's a, um, and, and again, Rob and Michael have been deeply engaged in this for many, many months. So they would probably be better to speak for this as far as on behalf of BIOS DAC. I'm just talking about what I've looked at. But um, I think my understanding is that there's this kind of preliminary stage where the, where the blockchain is running, but it's not fully in place yet. And it's kind of, it, it, there's, no, there's no voting for anything like that. And there's a certain threshold, certain different things that happen in a certain order, certain contracts that have to be implemented, the token contract, the distribution of that and all that kind of stuff, everything kind of in a perfect order. And, and in that time, blocks are being produced because you can't submit a contract to a blockchain that doesn't have a block to put that contract in, right? So blocks are being produced, but there's no block rewards. And that's an important part. And then this initial stage, it's kind of like these are just preliminary block producers. And it, there was even a discussion about they should be potentially throwaway accounts because they're not really important. And then after once that all the different criteria has happened and the actual launch happens, that's when voting starts. And then even then everything's locked up until I think it's, you know, 15% of the vote actually happens or 15% of the entire stake has been allocated towards a vote towards a group of block produ producers. That's when the chain really fires off and those block producers get in place and they start actually uh, getting rewarded and producing real blocks. And then the blockchain is open. Uh, open for business. So that's my understanding of it. And, and again, a lot of this stuff changes over time, but I, I think the idea of going with one as opposed to 21 is it simplifies it and it makes it a very, very clean blockchain to validate. And I think that's one of the things there's only one count doing production. There's another side to it that, you know, with the distribution of 21 different block producers, even launching the chain, then there's uh, fewer points of failure. Cause there's been a lot of talk about uh, those nodes being open to denial of service attack, distributed denial of service attack while they're trying to launch the chain. It's a very critical moment in the birth of this little baby blockchain. You know, we got we to gotta be careful for it and protect it in that moment. So there's talk of doing VPNs. There's talk of keeping things secure and private. Like there's all these different ways that people are going about doing that. And one of the things I've heard that I like the most is essentially launch multiple chains, maybe two or three, and then validate all of them, make sure they're radically secure and awesome and perfect. And we can provably show that with tools that we're going to do to validate and then essentially flip a coin because it doesn't matter who launches. There's no, there's no ego involved here. There's no one saying, well, oh, I was involved in the launch of blah, blah. No, it's, we're here to launch this thing and that's all that matters. So I like that approach where if we can validate that these are all secure and these are all follow their correct protocols, we flip a coin, we pick one, we call it EOS and we all jump on board and then we start voting. And then it's a matter of, you know, demonstrating value like we talked about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and that voting will be, um, will be, will be fun. I'm excited for that part. <laughs> I'm excited to actually start voting. Have you um, clicked around any of the voting portals or do you have any um, kind of opinions on I've looked at a couple. I, I have, I do have opinions. I do have major concerns on any website that teaches a user to put in their private key. That is just to be rule number one. You know, you don't do that. Now I know they'll say, but it never leaves your browser and it's fully secure. I get that. But it just, again, it, it, 
in this space for a long time, you essentially just never want to give it over your private key. So I'm looking forward to wallets that can be security audited, that are fully trusted and secure, that can be run locally on people's computers and that they can interact with the blockchain in a very secure way. Personally, for me, like I will feel most secure just running the entire node, you know, just spinning it up on my laptop or whatever and actually interacting with it that way. Those kind of things I personally feel more comfortable with or running the wallet software on my computer and then talking to a node. So therefore I've, I've actually encrypted my message on my local computer and I'm just sending it to a block producer to, to distribute that to me is the appropriate way, but obviously that's not user friendly. So we're going to have to, you know, we're going to define the balance between the security freaks like me who care about that kind of stuff and those who just want to click the button and have it done. So we'll find the balance. My hunch is that a, a, a lot of wallets that support EOS will start supporting some type of voting functionality would be my guess. And there will also be light clients and, and ways that you could connect to the system kind of like Mew, you know, my Ethereum wallet, you know, you can connect to it and you could run it offline if you wanted to. And then once it, creates the transaction, then you're back connected to the internet to broadcast it. Or even do an air gap computer where you could generate everything offline, copy it over, and then actually broadcast it. So I'm, I'm hopeful more options like that will come up and more tools will be user friendly while not compromising security. And not and importantly, not training people to just be willy nilly with their private key. Because the more we train people to do that, the more people are going to lose their funds. And that's just very tragic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah. This the the mindset of never putting your private key out there is is something that's important. So when we start giving uh, circumstances, well, well, this time you put your private key out, it, may, it confuses the <laughs> confuses the situation a lot for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the the scatter project and and how that plays into the? You know, I, I haven't looked at it a whole lot. Um, I know there's a lot of different projects. That's the, is that the one where they're? Well, I know there's one where they're actually doing where you can buy names early. And they're kind of selling yeah. names early. And yeah, I, I just, again, I'm trying to focus mainly on how I can serve EOS DAC. And actually just today, I don't know, it was yesterday, I got asked by one of our team members if Rob and I could do a full uh, security analysis of Scatter, like in the link to their GitHub. And I'm just like, I have not the bandwidth right now to do that. Yeah. Uh, essentially, you know, I would be hesitant to say, yeah, community, go use this tool. And I think in particular, there was a tool and it may have, I think it was part of Scatter, it might have been something else, but it was essentially a tool to validate that your private key matches your public key, that you didn't copy it incorrectly or something mm -hmm. like that. And that's an important tool, but it's also, you know, again, you've got to be careful. Any kind of thing that we download and, and encourage people to download and use. I've just seen, I've been in this space too long. I've seen, I've seen too many people, you know, there was a, I forgot if it was IOTA or one of them, there was one where they had for like six months, someone was running a helpful tool to generate keys. And it turns out the whole time he was stealing keys, you know, and, and so radically want to avoid those type of situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh the security becomes such a thing. I mean, most people who have been in, in cryptocurrency for more than a year or two years have had, have lost a coin somewhere along the way. Oh yes. I, I, I raised my hand to that. I've been, yeah. I remember I got hacked when they did the original ripple drop and it wasn't hacked. It was scammed essentially it was the only trade on bitcoin.org I ever did that I didn't require an escrow because I didn't care. I was like ripple. What is this? Seems yeah. Nice. It was like 20,000 ripple or something like that. So it's not an insignificant amount of money. Uh. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'll sell it for Bitcoin. And it was a fun story though. Cause later, the guy, supposedly the guy whose account had gotten hacked and had a high reputation came back and felt so bad about it that he kind of like gave everybody who got hacked or got scammed a little bit of Bitcoin yeah. <laughs> just to kind of make, make peace with them all. Oh, it was, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think, and I, I also melted a Bitcoin miner. I, I spent a hundred Bitcoin, my entire stash on an Avalon three. 
back in like 2013, I think it was, and almost burned down my house with this thing. <laughs> and oh. I parted it all out and ended up getting a, a good number of my Bitcoin back just because people wanted the, the chips so badly. But all these stories, these are what make us resilient in the space, give us experience and help us make better decisions in the future and then help other people, you know, not make the same mistakes as well. Yeah. And it's, it's that learning by, uh, I mean, learning by trial by fire, basically when you, when you learn those types of lessons, then you're never going to put your private key anywhere when you, you know, once you've, once you've had it happen once, um, it's, it's the same reason that, uh, you know, people can't really learn to trade by, by trading fake money. You know, you have to go in and, and lose money actually to learn these lessons. You know, you have to, yeah. you have to take hits because it's hard, it's hard as humans to, learn from other people's mistakes, no matter how, um, psychologically or, you know, how, how mentally you can see these mistakes they made, but until you feel it, it's, it's hard to actually to learn those, you know, that's a, Oh, it's so true. I, I did a post a while back on, uh, experiential knowledge and how do we yeah. like, you can't transfer experiential knowledge to other people. Like mm -hmm. the first time you drive a stick shift, you're freaking out. You know, the first time you come up to a hill on a stick shift and you're trying to use the e-brake, you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then after, you know, a multitude of years, you're like, why was I ever concerned about this? I can do this in my sleep. And I feel like cryptocurrency is the same way. It's extremely stressful and confusing once you start and then eventually it just becomes a thing where it's like oh this is this is no problem mm -hmm. yeah and that's one of the one of the benefits of eos hopefully is that it's going to make the interface with cryptocurrency in general more user-friendly more um with human readable names and just things things like that and recoverable recoverable yes. passwords um not having to calculate, you know, gas prices Not and, having, yeah. and, and all that. <laughs> yeah. So that might be one of the, you know, hopefully that's one of the big doors that's open that opens up for us too. Um, so what, if you, if you want to go back and say one thing about EOS DAC or kind of what the main, your main thing, maybe that we didn't cover, what, what are we kind of missing about EOS DAC so far that we haven't touched on? I, I just, uh, well, actually, it would be fun if you want to. We've got a sweet little like 70 second explainer, animated explainer video we did that I think is amazing. It's like movie quality if you wanted to link to that. I think that's a good job of like explaining Bitcoin, blockchain, and then all the way to EOS and EOS DAC. Um, I, I just, I'm passionate about decentralization and DACs in general. I think it's going to be the future. And so I want to be involved in the future. I want to be involved in setting the bar really high for what the ethics are of people who run a DAC and how they organize a DAC and how they structure the governance of a DAC and the constitution for a DAC so that hopefully we can set the model that people can point to and say, okay, that's what we have to do to be a successful DAC. That's the integrity and character we need. So that's, that's my main reason I got involved. I see the concerns. I see the challenges with it. And again, if it was easy, more people would be doing it. But I really do think this is the future and that's why I'm passionate to be involved in it because I want to make it easier for others going forward. You know what? I think that that is a very valid point that, um, you know, it's kind of a second layer point, but by voting for EOS DAC, or if we're able to get EOS DAC as one of the top 21 block producers, we're essentially uh, putting into place a structure that will, that can trickle down and, and show others the groundwork of how to actually operate a DAC. And so we wouldn't necessarily only be getting the benefit of uh, EOS DAC as a block producer, but we're voting for the benefit of every single, all the ground that EOS DAC breaks, all of the um, tools that it brings into the community, all of the framework that's now in place for 
hundreds of other DACs possibly to follow your lead. So, um, so it, it's bigger than just EOS DAC block producer. It's EOS DAC uh, paving the way for every DAC. And, yes. and, and that I'm is, so glad that you see that. Like yeah. that's, the, that's the messaging that we've been trying to make clear. We're not just a block producer. We're so much more than that. We are a DAC enabler. We're going to be providing support for all kinds of DACs. And, and I, I really, I'm excited to hear you say that. Yeah, so DAC enabler is, is a, a nice, beautiful, concise way of putting it. You know, if you're coding, you just killed it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Um, that, that, that's a really cool point. I like that. And that's, that's kind of my, I, I think that's kind of my big takeaway. Um, and, uh, you guys are going to have my, my support going forward. And, um, and yeah, I think, I think it's really, really interesting times. I appreciate all the work that you've done. I mean, for working on steam it for a whole year, um, as a witness now doing the, uh, EOS DAC and just pushing the ecosystem forward. Um, Chris Saka, one of these amazing um, angel investors from the Silicon Valley, some say he's one of the best angel investors there ever was. He, um, the way that he chose teams and the way that he chose investments was was totally different from everyone else. What he would do is he would invite the team. So there's a startup and they want, wanted some VC. He'd invite them up to Tahoe to sit in a hot tub in the woods and he would just BS with them. He'd hang out with them for a weekend and he'd get to know the people and what they were really all about, what drove them. And then he would invest in them majority based on that. Um, so I would encourage people to when you look at block producers, look at what's like kind of really behind the curtain. What are these people really doing? What are they really all about? Are they really trying to push the entire community forward? Um, and on that note, you've, you've proven that in your, in your life for over a year with being a steam witness and how you've conducted yourself. And then when you joined a block producer, you chose one that's a decentralized autonomous community where you're going to try to create more decentralized autonomous communities. And uh, that's what this is all about, man. <laughs> that, you know, that, that's what it's all about. So, um, yeah. So, cheers to you, <laughs> Luke Thank Stokes. You. Thank yeah, you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, do you have anything to end? I mean, that, that's kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a wonderful ending point, I think. That's it. Thank I, you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I, I love your enthusiasm for what we're working hard to do, both in Steam and in EOS. Just, it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing time to be alive, just like you said earlier. And I'm, I'm happy about it every day. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll end it on that note, my crypto friends. And until next time, we'll see you later. See you later, Luke. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is. Just